Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good people, this is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Writers Jam podcast. Today on the show, we have Ben Asaqui of Q Artistry, who does an amazing show that my wife and I just went to see called Cabaret Poe. And if you haven't seen it, you need to get your ass over to Theater on the Square, um, where it's playing for the next several weeks. Um, and then it will be around the city. It's been around for eight years. Um, how I didn't know about it, I have no idea, but I didn't. And we went to, we corrected that, and it was amazing. It is everything that you would expect out of a show called Cabaret Poe. Um, I grew up loving Poe, I think, as every sort of weird little kid did. So it was wonderful to see um, there was sort of a through story. Um, that took one of the short stories and sort of weaved it through both acts. And then it was a series of um, vignettes around the poems and the stories of Poe. So he's amazing. And Ben has like one of those fascinating lives. Uh, He did Christian contemporary music in Nashville and lived in Chicago and had a gig and decided he didn't like that gig. So he quit and then sort of realized that since he had quit, he needed to do something. Um, and he then made his own thing, which became Q artistry. He was also just recognized, um, by the Indiana foundation, uh, for one of its awards during its hundred year gala, which shocked him. And that was the first time that I'd seen Ben. I was actually there and saw him come down. And so as we were talking about guests, he was one of the few people as I asked around who was identified as a writer. Most of the people that were celebrated that night, particularly the artists, um, were not writers. So, um, a fact that he noticed as well. So it was a great conversation. Um, you're going to love it. Go see Cabaret Poe. Go get involved with Q Artistry. It's one of those Indiana treasures that um, we're lucky to have. It's also part of this reimagining of what we've been doing here with the Geeky Press, right? Like thinking about writing and art beyond just the thing that we do. Um, I have been really, like the last several months, just fucking insanely profoundly sad because I don't have the time and energy to write and to do the creative stuff that I want to do. Um, All of these life things are swirling around outside. And one of the things that renews my soul, one of the things that makes me want to do things are conversations like this with people like Ben and going to see their shows. Because when I see people making shit, I remember that you, I can do that too, right? That it is not, I don't have to allow myself to be that, um, sort of estranged from my own work. And when I'm like that, I'm, I'm fucking miserable. Like my wife will tell you if you ever meet her, don't just find her and ask her, but 
if we happen to be in the same place. And you hear her, she will tell you, I get miserable when I can't create, when I can't write. And so really we have been at the podcast thinking about how we can expand our reach and think about new audiences of writers, people that are sort of going through the writing process in their own genre, because that at the end of the day is what's important, right? Like Ben and I, have that same sense that you have to make your own thing. Like you can, it's very easy to do other people's stuff. It's really hard to make your own, but it's that making of your own thing that becomes sort of the, the, the fuel for your soul. And so it's just good to be reminded that like not everything needs to end up with a dollar sign at the end of it. Um, And it's great if you can make your life as an artist, but the end of the day, like not everybody's going to do that, but you can still carve that time out. You can still find a way to do the kinds of things that are important. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't, and you're an artist, you will become miserable. It's better to be miserable doing it than to be miserable because you're not. So as part of that, the Geeky Press has launched two initiatives. One is a biannual literary magazine called Who's Your Lit? So we'll be collecting poems and fiction and nonfiction and plays and screenplays, black and white photography. You can go to thegeekypress.com, click on the Who's Your Link and you'll see the call for submissions. So that'll come out twice a year. And essentially, that's for writers who are either from, have a connection to, or who are writing about Indiana. That's our constraint for that. But there's another one. So we also publish books. And one of the books, the first book we published was called Bad Jobs and Bullshit, which was a funny book of essays and fiction and poetry about bad jobs and bullshit. Our second book is Closer to Our Heart, which is beginning to think about writing and literature as a sort of central point to the conversation that this country needs to have about the insanity that's going on with the fucking election, right? And particularly Trump and the crazy shit that's coming out of his mouth. And so it's one thing to complain about that. It's another thing to understand perspectives, to not I'm not worried about Donald Trump. I'm worried about all of us who need to remember how to talk and share. And so this book that we're doing is called Dear America. And we expect this to be a series of books on on different topics. But the first one is called Dear America, Reflections on Race. And what we're asking people to do is, as the title suggests, is to reflect on race in America. And particularly your perception of it. So we're not looking for people to do think pieces. We're looking for personal stories. Fiction, nonfiction, poetry, photography, scripts, screenplays. However you express yourself with words. We're going to curate those into a book. But along the way, we're going to set up salons and conversations that we'd go. And these aren't going to be formal readings. Like it's not like the point of this isn't to fucking stand behind a podium and read people's reflections. The point of this is to use writing as the beginning of a conversation that we have. We, I don't particularly think we have anything new to say. I mean, that's some of the, and I brought this up. Some people said like, what are you going to say that other people haven't said? 
That's not the goddamn point. Like, if we're not going to say or do anything that hadn't been said before, we should all just stop. It's that we need to have these individually because that's how things change is through dialogues and conversations. And we happen to think that words on the page are a really good way to go about doing that. So this is open to anybody, just like bad jobs and bullshit. And you can go to thegeekypress.com into our book section and see our call for submissions. So you read up on that and submit to that because this making of things, this carving time for yourself is so important. And this finding of community, which is so much of what I talked about with Ben, identifying as a writer, finding ways to make your own art and finding your people and audience within that is just so important. So with that I will leave you with our interview with Ben. All right. So the first time that I saw you was at the Indiana Foundation's celebration. It was like the 100-year celebration, I think, of the fund. And they were recognizing arts organizations and organizations in the city that had done good work. And one that wasn't announced was this award for the theater community. There were 10 awards of $10,000 a piece. Um, and your name was called. Yeah. Yeah. So had no idea. No. Yeah. No. And none of the 10 of you had any idea. And so watching you guys come down was amazing because it was very clear. Nobody knew. Um, and honestly at the time I don't even, (laughs) I don't think I even knew what was happening. Like I knew my name had been called and I knew that we were honoring people and that was all that I knew. I didn't even put my mind uh, around any kind of grant or money. I mean, honestly, I just the fact that there was a room full of people that I highly admired and respected, um, and that they were calling me to the front for whatever reason. Right. I was terrified that I was going to have to say something. I was terrified. Yeah. I do not speak well in front of like large groups of people unless I've like had a moment to think about what I'm going to say. Um, and that clearly walking down those stairs that whole night, most people didn't know they were no, being, nobody did, yeah. and so everybody had that deer in headlight of like, I'm sure all of us were terrified. Yeah. Like we're going to have to say something. What you win and you're happy. And then you're like, I hope I don't have to fucking say anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me my thing and let me get well, off the and stage. Then the irony of that is that like, and so I was so gratified and, and I was feeling so happy about the fact that we didn't have to say anything. And then as we were leaving, they were like. Um, hey, we'd like to pull you over so we can interview you here on camera or whatever for like this first, probably for something for, for them, right. for CICF or whatever. And which I mean, of course I was really incredibly happy to do, but I'm sure it made zero sense Yeah, because I was babbling. Like Editing is good for that. I'm, <laughs> so, so it was, that was the, the sort of my introduction um, to you. And, and I'd sort of, I, I wrote down some names that night when they were happening because I was, um, Upset is the wrong word, but it was a celebration and there was lots of things about theater and dance and visual arts and photography and almost nothing about writing. Um, But what I had heard as I was asking people was that you actually are one of the writers in that playwriting community. I mean, I I think that there's a couple of the other uh, actors maybe have dabbled in it a little bit too, but to my knowledge, I'm, I'm the only one out of the 10 that regularly is a playwright and, and produces work here in town. Um, and that was really, really, I mean, that was, I mean, honestly, when I went up there, I thought that's what I was getting it for. I mean, because that's how I see myself these days as, because that comes first before anything else. Yeah. I can't perform in anything unless I'm first do this. Um, and, 
I mean, I can and I do, but regardless, um, <laughs> the, you identify yourself as a writer. I do. Yeah. And the other things are the things that are come after that. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on where I am at the moment. Like right now I'm in the, I'm in the middle of a process of writing and I have been all summer. And so, um, <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's actually been lovely. Uh, but the, but at other times, maybe when I'm not writing and I'm only performing, maybe I feel differently at that time. So it's just maybe like where my mind space is. Or do you think you're just taking a break from writing? Like I found possibly when I write, I will go in big chunks and then I wouldn't write for a while. And I used to get concerned about that. And then I've sort of realized like, that's the healing process, right? Like the writing is like tearing the scabs. You know, it's funny that you should say that because somebody just asked me about this the other day. And I always feel like that there is a mountain of work hovering over my head, right? Waiting to come spilling out. of Like Damocles sword is just, and it is so all the time. It's so much pressure really. And so that's why like the summer and I'm, I'm actually going on a, a train trip um, at the beginning of the year. Well, I haven't booked it yet. So it's either after Christmas or after New Year's. Yeah. Either way, I have this like small gap of time that I'm like, I'm taking a train trip and I'm locking myself in one of those cabins and I'm going to write, write, write. Yeah. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to allow myself to do anything else. Now I'm going to think. I'm just going to write. Right. And um, and let some of that mountain out because yeah. it just starts piling up. And yeah, I have a, a little idea uh, book and I have something on my computer that's all the ideas. Right. All I have to do is yank from one of those. But then... So often it doesn't even matter what's in that idea book because right. if something starts spilling out, I have to literally stop what I'm doing right. and go do it. So I am working on this book about my my family founded Clay County, Kentucky, and they're famous and and it's that's now awesome. the it's now the poorest county in the country. Oh, that's not awesome. Um, and in large part because of what happened. So it's a, it, it's the story of. Like, so it's your uh, family's fault, really. Yeah, it sort of is, yeah. Uh, um, but but also understanding, like, why... The, the question I'm trying to answer that people ask all the time is, why do those people vote against their self-interest, right? When you hear about Appalachians, yeah. you, Appalachians you always hear people saying, like, well, I don't understand. Yeah. And my response is always, your lack of understanding about why they do that is why they do that. And so it's a book to explain that. Well, I'm halfway Ooh, through it. blew my mind a little bit. Oh, I'm halfway through it, and this germ of an idea comes out, and I'm like, well, I'll just write an essay, and it'll... Well, I've not finished the Appalachian book, but I wrote 70,000 words of this other book, right? Because I'm like, fuck, I didn't know that was going to happen. And like, that's what happens, right? Like, Yep, yep. Well, and and so often, because also I'm a composer and a songwriter, and often that those things will be battling each other. Um, If I'm not writing a musical, um, am I writing just a play or just a piece or a short story or whatever? And all of a sudden, like something is inspiring me as far as musically or melodically or whatever. Um, I'll have to be like, now, can I step away and write this song? Right. It's almost like, and the songwriter in me says, you have to, there's no question. You have to go write that right now because that's going to spill out of you and you know, who right. knows if you'll ever get that again. Right. Um, but the then the eternal fear of like, like, no, I'm on a, I'm doing well here. Yeah. I'm like, everything's coming out. It's, you know, who knows if the next time I sit down here, I'll be like, right. you know? Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of yeah. like having a battle. Sometimes it works out. So if I like, sometimes the song then will like work its way into like inspiring mm-hmm. the rest of the piece. I mean, and then sometimes not. Right. Well, and this is the thing, right? Like there, I was talking with uh, a, a woman a couple of shows ago and, and, I never ask about people's writing process, right? Because it's like yeah. a, that's like a, it's like asking like how they, bang. yeah, it's like a dumb question. <laughs> like I don't like, yeah, it's people it's that, personal, super personal. Right. Yeah. And the people that aren't writing are fascinated by that. And the people that are, are like, ah, I fucking don't know. Yeah. Like it really is like, I can conjure the magic, but 
what works today may not work tomorrow. Yeah, I've actually I've I've sat uh, in on a couple talks where the uh, the person is asked about their writing process and they're and you can tell they're coming up with some bullshit. Bullshit. And they're just like, yeah, I get myself a cup of tea and I next to a window right. and my laptop and it's like and then I love it because I think uh, that happens like twice a year. Well, and I think Amy Poehler <laughs> even mentions that in her book that she just wrote. Um, uh, yes, please. I yeah. think she's talking about that. She's like, that's what she'd love to say. Which right. She's like, no, instead it's like my kids falling asleep in my lap. It's midnight. I should have been asleep two hours ago. Right. I haven't eaten. I'm only on caffeine at this point point. Right. and I'm cramming it out and I don't even enjoy it. And it's miserable and it's lonely and right. all of it is bad. And you know, she's like, yeah, there are the times that it feels lovely and there's a right. summer breeze blowing <laughs> right. in a cabin that you've rented in the woods. But the rest of the time it yeah. is a lonely process. And that part I really, really identify with because um, it so often feels so solitary. Yeah. Like, because you have to say, I'm sorry, can you leave now because I have to write. So you have to say it. Yeah. I tried to, so I rent cabins and I go to Airbnb, like I'll go to Chicago and get Airbnb and just like, I went to Santa Fe for 10 days and got yeah. a little, and my wife awesome. tried to come with me once or twice and like, I made her leave today. Like we're recording this in my house today. And she's like, well, I can go in the bedroom. I'm like, you can't fucking be around. If you're here, I feel guilty that I'm not yep. being with you. Yeah. And she's like, but I'm an, I'm like, I know all that. It's not you. Right. <laughs> like it's. And so we went on a vacation. We, we rented a cabin together and for four days. And at the end of the first day, I packed everything up and I'm like, we have to come home. I couldn't enjoy the vacation. I couldn't write. Oh man. Yeah. That's. We didn't talk the whole way home. Oh, and when, no. when we got home, she was like, I get it. Yeah. Like she wasn't mad because she's an artist, but it's like, we can't do the creative thing. I mean, thing. every now and then I, I've been in the same room with people, even if they're not writers or whatever, every now and then it's working. Like there's something. Right. But I mean, it's safer to say yeah. that it's not going to work. Right. Um, because then I don't have to be like, I don't have to say those words of like, right. I need for you to go away right now. Right. Because it's I, not me. It's actually you. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not me. It's you. You've got to go. Right. Every noise you're making from the steps that you're making on right. the floor to everything is distracting me from right. this world that I'm trying to place myself in. Right. Which is you are, you are keeping the genius from happening. You are keeping the genius. It's your fault. So if you'd like to stay, that's fine. Right. Then just know that right. forever you have that guilt. Yeah. There was probably a thing that was going to change the world that didn't. <laughs> because you had because, to fucking have coffee. Right, that's right. Yeah. Because you're opening peeling that banana right. right now. So let's go back. So are you from where are you from? I'm from here. I'm from Indy. Actually I'm from Anderson. Uh just north. Uh only child? No, I have a sister. Older or younger? Older. And what is she like? She's awesome. She um she was a radio personality for quite quite a few years. And she still um makes lots of appearances and does stuff all around town and and um Were you guys close as kids? Uh, well, we have a little bit of an age difference. Mm -hmm. So as kids, no, yeah. I would, I think we could both honestly say that. Um, I mean, I think yes, in that way of, um, like you're that we, you know, same parents. <laughs> and we, well, here's the reason why we're, here's the reason why, regardless of all the, all the problems that we all had growing up, the thing that my family could always do just the four of us is we have the same sense of humor. <laughs> like all of us could laugh about the same stuff. And so that was both good I, and bad, I'm guessing. Oh yeah. At times. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the one thing that I think, um, that's the one thing we could always meet on in the center, regardless of what else was going on. Um, we could, we all could laugh at the same thing. And that's the thing that Mindy and I, my sister, uh, we always can, yeah. you know, how much older is she? Uh, she's, I think 
seven years older. So my sister's five. So you were never in the same school. Like you were always, no, yeah, like just a little bit behind and far enough. Like five years for us was enough that like she just graduated and I showed up. So like there was not even like that concentric friend circle of, oh yeah, no, I didn't have any of that either. And the teachers, they all knew her because she was so good at school. Yeah. Like school was her job and she was good at it. Um, and I was not necessarily good at school. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I enjoyed school. I yeah. loved going. I thought it was fun. I just thought studying was boring, yeah. to be quite honest. Like, I thought it was the most... I mean, I thought that I'd much rather be outside or right. much rather be doing something else. Yeah. And um, what, did you, what were you like in school? Like, did you do theater? Did you do sports? Like, what did you do? Uh, we got involved in community theater when I was really young. And so, yeah, I did theater we. off and on. Um, my whole family. Really? Yeah. Um, Mindy was, my sister was kind of like the catalyst that drove that forward. But then, um, but I was kind of dragged along and, um, and then loved it and stayed and and did it. And, and, um, and community theater is kind of where I was raised in many ways. Um, but as far as in school, I did lots of sports growing up. Um, I stopped doing sports as much in high school. I did a little bit, but there just wasn't enough time. Were you doing theater stuff in school? Doing theater stuff. I was doing music. Mm-hmm. I was doing show choir. Yep. You know, all of it. As much as I could get involved. Right. And, and um, I mean, my... I think one of my claim to fames to myself was how many how many page numbers in the end of the year book sure. my name had. Like, yeah. how many times <laughs> I... You know, um, even though I'd be like, oh, yeah, I showed up to Spanish club once. Right. Right. <laughs> but I still got that number because I was in a picture. I showed up a picture today. But, um, but and, yeah, so it was fun. What'd your dad do? My dad was an electrician. Mm-hmm. And your mom? She was, as a teacher, she was a teacher all growing up. And then uh, when we got to about high school, or when I got to high school, she started working for the fire department. As what? Uh, she was like as in a, the administration. Okay, like, so not as a firefighter. No, I was like, that's a weird transition. Yeah, like, awesome. I'm going to teach, and then like, start, that's how I'll start telling that story. Right now on. Yeah, I think <laughs> if you just drop like, and then she, yeah, she worked she fire department. Worked the fire department. She's got a job as a firefighter. And so, were they? I mean, they were they were involved in community theater. Like, they were doing theater. They were artistic oh, folks. Yeah. Well, no. Uh, my <laughs> my sister was. She's great. Yeah. Um, so they did this as a way to like bond with your sister. Uh. I think it was just, it was a lot. I think they thought it was super fun. A. Yeah. And then I think that they really liked the people involved. And then they also had to go to take us. So they just would stay. Might as well be in our Um, town. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so they often were, and and the community theater, uh, main stage community theater in Anderson that we did most of our stuff at, they, um, they really liked the community there. And so, and they constantly, we constantly were needing like extra ensemble and all that. So my parents were just, you know, Dad, put on these tights and be in Once Upon a Mattress or whatever, you know, and uh, and it was great. It was fun. Uh, it, thinking back and the memories I have of that, I have actually very little memory of them being there because they were great at just doing their thing, yeah. and, you know, and when it was time to leave, we'd all leave together. But for the most part, we had different jobs and we were, the only time that it got a little weird was... We were in a production of The Music Man. Oh, it's my favorite musical of all time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Robert Preston, Shirley Jones. Well, we, my sister and I were cast in the roles of Tommy Gilles yeah. and Zanita, uh-huh. whatever the mayor's yeah. daughter is. Which Great Hulk. Boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that is, and so it's a little weird. But, yeah. and, and there's, like I said, there's an age difference, but I was always really tall. And, yeah. and, um, and of course, in our industry, males are always in need. Yeah. And so they're... 
probably weren't a lot of other people even auditioning for that role, to be honest. So, yeah. And I knew I wanted it because it's the dance lead. So it was fun. <laughs> so you were doing that right. You, you, how old were you when you first started community theater? Like, were you a kid? Oh yeah. Like five. Yeah. Yeah. Something really young. And then. And you did it all through high school. Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah, especially in the summers. Yeah. Um, but in high school, like the actual high school time, I was so busy, I didn't have a lot of time to gotcha. do shows during the year, but I would squeeze it in here and there. But when yeah. did you start writing? Like, when did, when did that become a thing that you I were started like, writing in high school. Yeah. I was, uh, I wrote for the newspaper, and I actually wrote a couple things that went to the city paper, um, and I was always into writing, and, and actually, the first musical, technically, that I wrote, I think, was called Rumpelstiltskin, <laughs> and it, I wrote it when I was, like, I think, 11, or probably 11 or 12, and, um, because I'd already been taking piano lessons mm-hmm. and I'd already started writing music and all of that. And then, um, so I started writing early on, but then once I got into, uh, once I left high school, I was determined to only do music. So then I stopped doing any kind of other writing altogether for really? years. Yeah. What kind of music? Um, I moved down to Nashville, Tennessee and did contemporary Christian music. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it. It was great. Um, it's just that, you know, life happens and as a songwriter is the same kind of way I feel about as a writer, the things that happen in your life sometimes end up on the page, whether they're in their exact same form or not, they're just different or just the way that you tell the story changes. Yeah. Um, and was, is faith a big part of your life or did that, did you just go down there because uh, no, I mean, yes, by personal choice, but I mean, I was raised Catholic, my family kind of, and then I hopped churches myself. Yeah. Um, I just mean like to go make a decision like, oh, I'm going to write contemporary Christian is a, that is a specific genre. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I was just kind of in, I was already in that world because of some people that I had accidentally ended up being in. And so I was just wanting to do music and I had sang, I had sung um, gospel at that point for quite a few years. Um, just throughout high school and whatnot. And it was the thing that I seemed to be good at. And so, um, so many people were giving me, um, opportunities down there that they were like, well, I was like, well, I'm going to take them. Yeah. Those are opportunities. And so, and so I went down there, but then unfortunately the writing being, you know, songwriting at this point got in the way because the stuff I needed to write songs about and stuff I needed to let out was just not, that was not working with, uh, yeah, <laughs> the contemporary. Was, I needed to say the word fuck every now and then. Right. And, um, maybe not in a song, but maybe after it. And so, and Amy Grant wasn't going to do that. That was not, <laughs> what's funny is she's probably super cool. I've met her a couple of times yeah. and, but yeah, some of the other ones, not so much, but, um, and then at the same time that I, I went down there, um, so I, it was something about Amy Grant having a glass of wine at a macaroni grill or something like hit the, hit the stories and, and, um, people were freaking out about that and a couple other things. And I, I think vaguely remember this. There like, was some weird stuff going on, her and Vince Gill and all that stuff. And, and I just thought, you know what, this just all seems a little judgy for me. And, and it's funny because I think it's come a long way since then, yeah. but the, the people that I was around in the industry were living a different life behind, um, I'm shocked in the studio. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And that was a little, um, that was kind of the thing that made me leave in the end. Um, cause I probably could have stayed and been a studio musician just in that vein, but I just didn't like being around. And then, uh, I didn't like being around like the, uh, hypocrisy, but then when I moved over and was just working studio work, um, in secular music, um, at the time, and this is not a reflection on the industry now, but the people were so much nicer. Yeah. Um, and part of it was because there were so many people at that time, I think, trying to get into contemporary Christian music that that they um, 
that they could take, they didn't, they could take anybody. Right. And, and so people were all like, let me, let me, and I'll yeah. do whatever. I'll be abused. I'll right. be whatever, you know? And in music, that is a longer thing. And yeah. That's been going on longer. And people were just like, well, I'm not putting up with this bullshit. And right. just leave. Nobody gets into rock and roll so they can. Right. right. Be put into a thing. Like right. that's the antithesis of what that. So let's, let's go back. Yeah. So when you graduated high school, you said you were singing gospel, like in church choirs and like just around and show choir. Like that was just, there was a, there was a gospel choir at my high school. Yeah. And really? Then, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I sang with that and then, um, and that was sort of the, that got that you into some of the, moved I mean, I know Anderson also happens to be a place where they're religion yes. is a yeah, yeah, yeah. there are lots of churches and there's yeah. a lot of venues where that can happen yeah, and there's a lot of uh contemporary christian music happening yeah in that i mean like it's it's one of those weird things that if you don't really know about indiana like anderson is like mecca yeah, yeah. it really is that kind of, yeah mecca yeah. it really is mecca <laughs> it really is mecca um and so did you go to college or did you just go to nashville i did but not i went to nashville first and then later on i went to middle tennessee state university oh so you stayed so you didn't come back you went yeah, down there I how long were you in the while. industry down there just a year or two uh, no no i stayed down there for quite a few years um, and then went to school at Middle Tennessee State University for psychology because yeah. why not? Well, no, no. <laughs> so why did you choose psychology? Uh, I always loved psychology. Uh, I and I was already working in the music business. I had already, so I was like, why would I? And like I'm not going to be a music major. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, in retrospect, I'm like, I kind of wish I had done that because there's things that I totally could have learned. Right. But as it time, turns out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in the in the meantime, I've kind of enjoyed learning it as an adult. But yeah. um, but the uh, but I thought, you know, I don't even know what made me push that. I thought it was kind of an easy choice. And so uh, I just was like, let's do it. It did not end up being easy, but it ended up being a lot of fun. And I think, weirdly, it helps me in many, many ways, my psychology background regarding either being a director or a writer or... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? Like understanding the human condition and the way people think. Yeah. Um, and just getting behind their two eyes and, and looking through in the, as, as, as much as you can in a, not only just in a pragmatic way, but also in a really trying to understand, like getting it, like the motivations behind things and the, you know, all that. I think that, that always fascinated me and it. And And when is that not going to help you as a writer? Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah in my sort of weird way when I'm, I always tell my students, like, I can't teach you how to be a writer. Like that's, it's a, it's a, sorry. Like (laughs) in 16 weeks, I can't, there's not a thing. I can tell you some structures, but like, yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, like I'm living in the athletic club, but you, you're like, sorry, like I've made better life choices than you have. Um, the, it's easy to write Darth Vader is bad Hmm. and Luke Skywalker is good. That's easy. Yeah. And when you watch a movie or you read a book and like that's all that it is, you feel very empty because that is not your experience with the world. That's right. Until you can understand why somebody bad thinks that they're good. Yeah. And why somebody good doesn't understand that maybe they're bad. Yeah. That's when it gets really interesting because that's everybody's experience with the world. Oh yeah. That's how we each are looking. That's our each place at the table, that's what we're looking at across we're looking across. We're right. looking at the person sitting across from us thinking why would why would you eat that? Right. <laughs> or why would you vote against your self-interest? Right? Like going back like and I yeah. just think, no, 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 you're missing Yeah. There's so many reasons why that question is offensive. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Instead of understanding what what might motivate you to do that because they're not doing that because they're dumb. No. They're not doing it because they're defeatist. Right. They're doing it because they have reasons. Right. 
And so I always, I think that that's... Um, sometimes it's hard to not, sometimes it is hard to say they're not doing it because they're dumb. Yeah. It is hard. But it is, right? Like, but that's, it's the same that comes back to, um, I mean, it, it's how it comes from the right back to the left, right? Like, so yeah. that's the left going to the right. But like, it is, the right is like, well, it's, it's sometimes hard not to say you guys don't love America, right? <laughs> like, and you're like, yeah, but can we all just agree that maybe that's not true, right? Right? Like, right. and that's why I think that psychology does actually make sense for what you do. Yeah. Now, was it. it because you thought like I should have a fallback, or a did you? Bit. Yeah. I, even though it's a, it's funny because at the time I, I I was already working as a studio musician, right. but I also was working for the YMCA of Middle Tennessee, and then I was going to school. It was crazy time. Right. Um, as artists always do, like I had 17 jobs. Exactly. Right. Uh, but so I, how old were you when you graduated? I was 18. College. Yeah. You graduated college at 18. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I feel <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, that's a weird question. No, no, yeah, no, no. College. 17 or 18. Like 24, uh, 25. I don't remember. So it was clearly in a, a formative time of your life. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. well, and it's because I, I had to take because I didn't just do like four years. I had to do like a weird. So you were doing it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just because I also went to school in the summer. I went to school year round. Yeah. So yeah. To catch up and yeah, just not to be there all the time. Yeah. 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 So when did you move back? Um, I actually moved back. I started having vocal problems. Um, in so I was having to cancel some studio gigs. And, um, and so I went to the Vanderbilt voice clinic, which is this amazing place right down there that, that services people from all over the world from Pavarotti when he was alive. He's alive, right? No, he's dead. now. He's dead. Yeah. So I thought, Several years. Okay, good. I mean, not I mean, good, <laughs> that's <for sure. laughs> I'm glad he's dead. The two um, tenors are much better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he had been there. There are pictures of everybody from country stars, obviously, yeah. contemporary Christian stars to like people from all over the world, like yeah. Stevie Nicks and shit and whatever. Um, but so they were like, oh, you're allergic to dust and weed mix number whatever. And that's the weed mix we have here. In Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, great. And so I lived in an old historic home full of dust. Right. And from a hundred years ago, like right. nothing but dust. Right. And lived in a state that I was most allergic to. So I was like, well, let's move. And I was like, well, I want to move to Chicago. Yeah. But first I'm going to stop in Indianapolis and live with my family for a little while and I take a restart. But yeah. And so I moved back here for about oh, two years, not even. And then moved to Chicago. Yeah. And, and what did you do in Chicago? Chicago, uh, wh- right when I moved here, I had just written a bunch of songs and kind of produced a, a CD. So you really were like full on music. Like that's the thing you were going to yep. do at this point in your yep. life. Like the theater yeah, totally. stuff had sort of fallen aside. Yeah, I, had, I, had, I was doing no theater. Um, so I was like, well, and so I played out once here in Indy. Well, actually a couple times. And I was... Horrif- horrifically nervous, which is bizarre for me because I don't, that doesn't generally happen. Um, so much that at the end of the first set, I was sitting in my car and, um, and somebody came out and they were like, are you going to come back in and do the second really? set? And I was like, I don't think I'm, I want to. I don't want to. <laughs> so it was like very clear. Like yeah. you went out and like had like, a panic attack. I, and yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't see a reason. I can't think of a real reason why I should go back in there. <laughs> And um, so this was my partner at the time, Will, and he convinced me to go back in and, and I finished it. And it was great. But so what I knew then was I was like, <laughs> I got to toughen up. 
Because if you're going to be in the arts, you got to learn how to. You can't know. run out into the car. You and, can't go out in the yeah. car and be like, I'm I, done. I'm done. After like, <laughs> if things don't go quite right, you know. And so, so when we moved to Chicago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to what's what can toughen you up more than auditions? Right. I'm going to go to every single audition, even if I'm like not even right for that role. I'm going to go so they can say. Bye-bye. <laughs> so or, after not doing theater for a decade, you just decide, here's the thing I'm going to do. I'm yeah. going to act. Yeah. So. How'd that go? <laughs> unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I nailed most of the things that I went to audition for. I think part of it was my balls out right. attitude about like, I'm just doing this bullshit, right. whatever, you know. And if you sure. tell me no, who gives a right. shit? Because that's what I want. <laughs> I actually want to hear no. Right. I don't want to work in your goddamn play. That's right. I don't even really want to be in this. I'm just showing him. up. And so the downside of it is I ended up being in a lot of stupid shit I did not want to do. Right. <laughs> but Making be- big money, too. No. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, because I actually auditioned for this weird, the, my, one of the things I did in Chicago that I made the most money, I auditioned for this weird, like it was called Neptune's Holiday Kingdom at the um, Shed Aquarium. And it was one of my favorite jobs because I worked, I think I worked like four shows a day for 15 minutes each over a, like a period of like six hours made the most per hour that I, I mean, I think I made like over $20 an hour. Um, and then the rest of the time I got to sit around and look at the shed aquarium animals and like whatnot. I mean, it was awesome. Well, they're paying you, they're paying you the whole day while I'm there, no matter what Just I'm doing. Just to hang out. And the, the, what the funny part about it is, is I was really disappointed because I was like, I'm in a show called Neptune's Holiday Kingdom. It's going to be so awesome. I'm going to be like dressed as a fish. Um, but instead, my role was the person who works at the aquarium. So you literally were just <laughs> I was like khakis and a shirt. So during your off time, people were still asking you, like, "Where's the fish?" Totally, totally were, and I didn't care. I was like <laughs> over there. But um, but that but the great thing is is that uh, the other actors who were fish or like were you know Neptune or whoever they were, they had all this makeup. So they were like, "I'm not taking it off and putting it back on." Like after 45 minutes, and I'd be like, "I'm out of here," and I'd be like <laughs> looking at the belugas. Whatever, it was awesome. So when did you, did you start writing when you were up there? Or well, was that- so then that's the next step. So, so I was working, 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 and I was having a great time for a little while. There has to be a moment where you're like, this and can't be my fucking I life. I was in a great show that I got paid a lot of money for, and it was great. Um, and I was doing what, what people that do what I do, what they think of as winning, mm-hmm. right? They're like, this is it, man. You are a paid actor. That's all you're doing. You show up and you do rehearsals. You love it. But I mean, I was sailor number three in South Pacific and the show a is racist. I don't care what anybody says about it. It's a racist show. And if I was Rogers and Hammerstein, I would, would be like, bitch, write that shit again. Right. Rewrite it. We have moved on. <laughs> from some update. of those songs. Yeah, please. <laughs> for the love of God. Stop making us look like idiots. We didn't mean for it to, because it was way ahead of its time at the time. Anyways, it's a whole other story. So one night when I was carrying a crate on stage <laughs> as sailor number three, as sailor number three, and then carrying it off in the next scene, I thought I can't do this because this is making me not like theater. Right. It's making me not really like what I do. And, and somebody else who loves this, who is right. like, Oh my God, South Pacific is a genius gem and should never be changed. They should be doing this. Right. And so to make room for them, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. Instead, I'm going to write my own shit. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing stuff with a couple friends and first we were writing like little reviews where it was like the music wasn't necessarily original, but we were filling in. Sure. Like we did this thing called Sex on Broadway where we took all the songs that are about um, either enticing someone or literally about sex or whatever and and scened 
mm-hmm. you know, wrote scenettes into each one or monologues or whatever. And um, to kind of stitch them together into it, like a yeah, like so a dead man don't wear plaid or that's exactly yeah. like that. Yeah. So it was so and people loved it and yeah. we had a great time. And then I wrote another one called God on Broadway, which is the same concept. <laughs> and um, and of course I thought I was so clever because <laughs> right after sex I was doing God right. But um, and then uh, and then I wrote. Um, I, and then I came across the works of Edgar Allan Poe and for the first time, no, I had definitely been, uh, I'd seen some stuff and I'd read some stuff, but it had never really reverberated yeah. with me. And, um, you weren't a sci-fi horror guy growing up. I really liked horror. I yeah. always did. But, um, for some reason I just, it just didn't get it po. missed me. I don't know how, but what I came across first was, this shit's creepy. Oh yeah, like super creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, but weirdly, the first one I came across Annabelle Lee, which is not creepy at yeah. all. It's like a love story, and but I was so moved by the poem that I immediately sat down at the piano and wrote music to it, um, not really thinking anything would come of it. But I couldn't think of anything else for like the you know for a few days, and so then I started looking at other Edgar Allan Poe stuff and started seeing. Oh my god, I love everything about yeah. almost every single one of these pieces from a psychology background. Yeah, sweet Jesus, right? Seeing behind the eyes of these crazy people, right? He wrote this back in a time when we didn't even know what being a sociopath was. Right. Like, here's this guy that's going to kill this other guy just because he has a cataract problem. Right. <laughs> you know, or whatever. And so bury him in a wall or right. like, yeah, like, guy that's like, cause something mean was said about him. He's going to bury this other guy in a wall. It's like, these people are bad shit. Right. And I love it. So, um, it must be a play. That's right. So I started like uh, other music started coming to me and I started putting it together. And so with, the, we created that we had created this kind of like little production company that did sex on Broadway and got on Broadway called Q artistry. Yeah. And, um, um, and so then at that point I was like, let's workshop this cabaret Poe thing and like give it a shot or whatever. So you started Q Artistry up in Chicago. Yeah. It, it's original inception was up there. And, and t- um, what is Q Artistry? It just. Uh, Q Artistry is a, a locally run organization that um, we now since moving and kind of reformulating everything, we uh, exist primarily to promote original works mm-hmm. by Indiana artists. So, um, specifically original plays right now in the past, we've done other things like art and whatnot. Um, but for the most part, it's just Indiana plays. That's all we've ever done. Just people that are local. Um, and so this Genesis happens in Chicago as you guys are like, let's make our own thing. That's kind of where it started. Yeah. 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 And we didn't exactly know that that's what it was going to be at the time. As a matter of fact, we had... Because plans are only retroactive, right? (laughs) Like they're really only retroactive. (laughs) We had actually looked at plays that weren't locally... Uh, produced at the time, and we were even going to maybe do some of that. We didn't end up right. doing that because you had just, so you had just quit Sailor Number Three. Yeah. So literally, you're like, I have to do something with my life. Yeah. Q artistry. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Yep. And that's why I like threw it all into. And um, so just whatever you were doing sort of gets pulled under there. Oh yeah. 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 And then um, so how so this Edgar Allan Poe thing becomes a show in Chicago? So it did. So yeah. So I called it Cabaret Poe, and <laughs> we didn't put it up as a full show. We did it kind of as a workshop thing at this thing called Looptopia, which I don't even know if they still do. I hope so. There's so many things in Chicago. Yeah. Well, this was the first time they had ever done it. It was an all night art event. Oh, that's cool. All through the loop. Um, they said they were patterning it patterning it after some stuff in Europe that yeah. went on all night. So it was like you'd walk out in the street and there'd be performance art. And then inside here, there'd be a theater thing. And inside over here, there's music thing. And yeah. later it's all night. And I Louisville like, used to do that. Oh, did they? Yeah. I saw Jim Carroll, the basketball diaries. Yeah. I saw him. He was sitting where you're sitting. I saw him read the basketball diaries awesome. while Hunter Thompson was standing behind me. What? Yeah. And I was, it was like cool. three o'clock in the morning. It was like, this is the... F- yeah, fucking greatest crazy. thing. Yeah, I want to be a writer. We could do something like that here. We should put it together. Anyway, we should. The uh, so 
I was like, I'm going to sign Cabaret Poe up for this because what is more awesome than like midnight or right. two in the morning, like some scary Poe stuff. Instead, we got like the 1030 spot and our spot was like in the middle of this like mall thing with escalators going up and down. <laughs> Which actually is like kind of fun to do freaky, scary yeah. shit in the well, middle of a fucking right. well, suburban and the cool hell. Thing, at the time, I was really irritated. <laughs> right. But, at the, but now in, in retrospect, I think that's kind of what made it really work because people were drawn. They right. were coming down the escalator and they were like, wait, I want to see what that is. Right. So they came over. So the, the whole thing was really well received. And that was only like about a 15 minute version. Yeah. And so because of that, um, I was really happy about it. But then... The economy was doing badly at the time and work was, Which I, I was still working as an actor, but so I wasn't getting things as often, yeah. but I still was getting asked, but I wasn't willing to take some of those jobs anymore because yeah. you know, this or that. And so I was offered a job here in Indy and I was like, I'm moving home. So I moved here and then it was about, I think. So it really was, it was work related. Like, okay, this is just too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just because I could get like a regular job yeah. here. What, 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 what kind of job? Uh, actually, at the Indianapolis Senior Center, okay, I was going to be moving as their piano instructor and like arts administrator. Um, but I was just going to keep working in Chicago as an actor, yeah, or elsewhere, right? <clears throat> because I could go back and forth. Or whatever, yeah, it's and three hours. It's not that. Yeah, mega bus or what have you, or just drive. <laughs> um, and uh, but one of the one of the three people that I wrote the show for, for Cabaret Poe, the little fifty minute thing, she's like, "You got to do something with that Cabaret Poe thing because people should see it." And so I sat down and I wrote more of it. And then we started looking at places to put it up here. And Irvington was a perfect match because mm-hmm. it's kind of spooky. Yeah. That's where uh, I saw Rocky Horror. Oh, perfect. yeah. It was like that same kind of like. Yep. Same, same concept. And so we, so we found the Irvington Lodge and moved it in. And then from there, we started reformulating what we thought Q should be because we were noticing, especially at the time, and this was eight years ago, yeah. um, we noticed that there was a deficit in original plays being yeah. produced in town and that there wasn't a place for people to even be able to see their stuff. You know, That's as much of the problem, right? Like it's yeah. easy to not, it's easier to write it than to find a space here where like, yeah. it doesn't cost $9,000 and yeah. you can like, yeah, it's much easier now yeah. than it was then at the time it was, you know, and I, and at the time I remember going into Cabaret Poe, uh, production, um, and I tell this story a lot, so people are probably tired of hearing it. But um, when I was writing the check for the costumes, and they were at this point, and you know, they were they're costume costumes, so they were like five hundred bucks each. And I remember my hand was like shaking. I had saved up the money, but I was like writing that check, right. and handing it over, thinking that I would never see that money. Right. Again. All the things that you can't do. That's all you're thinking. Like, yeah. oh, I'll not do. Right. I guess I won't be yeah. going on a vacation anytime yeah. soon or anything else. Eating. Yeah, <laughs> eating. And so. Uh, but then eight years later, we're still doing the show using those same costumes. Yeah. So, I mean, it just goes to show you, like, sometimes that type of thing. If you pushing hard enough, and people thought it was the stupidest idea, and Edgar yeah. Poe put to music, I yeah. mean, that sounds really dumb. That sounds amazing. See, you, <laughs> you think it sounds awesome, but people in their minds are thinking, West Side Story, Oklahoma, they're thinking no, all these cheesy versions. Because they've never seen Vincent Price do shit. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. that's exactly, like, when you said it, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. you need, like, the big piano. Yeah. Like, it would be, like... Yeah. Well, people, and it's funny, just people were just having their a hard time wrapping their brains around it. So the first year, um, the first, like, we actually tried to do this thing where we sent out uh, 
these free invitations to all the nonprofits. Yeah. And we're like, we'd love for you to be our guests and just right. come see the show. And um, we got two back. And we like, I think we like almost a hundred. Yeah. And we got two back. Thinking it's a really good idea at this point. Like we've nailed this. Yeah. We're like, this is gonna be awesome. And they were so cool. They were like these like little coffins, and you open them up, and there are pictures inside of the show, and like a description of the show. So it's not like we're not like super weird. And um, minus the coffin imitation. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, in retrospect, maybe that's right. weird. But at the same time, if I received a little coffin imitation, sure. I'd be like, "This shit's yeah. badass. I'm going." And it was free, but instead we got two. Right. I, I, I love that story because I think even at the time, that kind of was the culture of indie. And that's kind of why we really did think that what we were going to do would be yeah. necessary because indie wasn't really into trying new stuff at the yeah. time. It was like, well, you know, we just need to hold on to stuff we have. You yeah. know, um, it just didn't feel like a culture of trying new things. Right. There was the Indie Fringe Festival. It was trying to get on its yeah. feet like it had been happening for a couple But of that years also ago. has a thing around it. It does, like, but even then, it w- it wasn't what yeah. it is now. Sure, and that was a long time ago. I always, you know, when we started doing the Giggy Press, and I I just made it up, right? So like I I announced the reading, I announced the location, and the time I had nobody to read. Nobody knew who I was, yeah. and I was like, I mean, fuck it, people will show up or they won't, right? Yeah. The first one we had eighty people show up for a reading. Awesome. Um, but we've also done things where like four people show up, <laughs> and like when with the folks I do it with, or when people like are like, ah, that wasn't great. I'm like. This is what happens. Yeah. Like everything is sort of up and down until it's not. Yep. Oh yeah. And so many people quit because it doesn't work the first time and they're like, yeah, well, I guess nobody wants it. Like, no, no, you just haven't continued to make it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that because we even had a contract in the contract with the actors and the musicians that if we didn't have, I think it was 14 people show up that were paid tickets that we couldn't pay everyone. Right. So, so we could either take a vote, we took a vote whether we wanted to do the show for those 14 people or not, you know, cause that was actually very similar to what would happen in Chicago. Right. There'd be shows canceled if there were eight people in the audience. Cause right. it's like, well, look people, you know, we respect the artists, so we're not gonna ask them to work for free. Right. We'll, if they want to, that's totally different. But, and, um, and that happened one time our first year. Yeah. And then by the end of the month we did, we're, we're doing it in October. Um, we were selling out the last like weekend or whatever. Yeah. And then, so then when we did it like the next year, we didn't have any idea that we were going to ever do it again. Right. And Cause plans are all in retrospect. Right. You just do the next thing in front of you. That's right. Um, I always, you know, when I'll talk to the arts council and stuff about like what we're doing and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do next month. Like we have these things that we do, but like if I have another idea or if somebody says, Hey, let's do this. Yeah. Like we had somebody from the uh, a filmmaker say we should get writers and filmmakers together. And are there actors in town? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> right. And I was like, I know all these theater groups. And they're like, yeah. well, we can teach them how to do film. And I'm like, ah, well, we'll see if you have yeah. to teach them, you know, what yeah. to do. Like, <laughs> but it's just like that was not a thing that was on my radar until this month. And then right. these filmmakers were like, we really need writers and actors to do stuff. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, I guess that might be a thing that we do now. Yeah. Is to have a happy hour where we bring folks together and say, who wants to make a movie? Yeah. And then that's exciting. Right, that's cool. Right. Yeah. Like, and but it just kind of comes. Yeah. Sometimes that stuff just like comes upon you. Yeah. Well, and that's what happened with Cabaret Poe. Like, we thought the deal was done. You know, yeah. we're like, eh, we'll do it maybe. I, it didn't even dawn on me to do it again. So we finished it. <laughs> we finished it. And like, I think that spring we were eating dinner at one of the, uh, one of the restaurants, The Legend, there in, um, in Irvington, which is a great place. And I love eating there. And we were back there again, eating. And, um, and one of the people that worked there, actually one of the owners was like, um, we hope you guys do something again because we had a great fall, you know? And then all of a sudden it was like another reason I was like, Oh, well, 
if that can help the little, the neighborhood, right. Irvington, and if we can do some stuff. And so then, you know, the nonprofit part of me started working with the artist part of yeah. me, started working with all, you know, the humanitarian part of me. And I started thinking, oh, and I can write this and this and this and this. And um, so then we opened up that following summer and did stuff year round, like original plays and playwrights festivals and all sorts of stuff. Is it, do you generate crowds there? Oh, yeah. Well, then starting at that point... I mean, now it's laughable to think that we would have a 14 person house, which, you know, and I know that there are young theater companies right now. They're like, 14 is great. And that's awesome because that's where they should be. And that's exactly what they should think. But now I get mad when we have like 35 or 55 and I have to remind myself, okay, but (laughs) it wasn't that long ago we had 14. Right. So, you know, 55 is okay. And to be quite honest, from an artist perspective, if three people, if one person shows up, to see me walk around on stage and do some bullshit, then that's pretty important. Yeah. You know, because they obviously are taking their time to come and see, you know, me do my thing. And, you know, the storytelling concept of all of that is incredibly important to me. And so, so, you know, but at the same time, you know, when you're thinking from producer standpoint, you're right, but we will be losing $600 in one night or whatever. Right. It's a, it's an interesting, for us, it's a little bit different because when we do readings, we record everything. So I, Oh. I actually use my phone, which shoots HD video, and I got an HD lav mic. So I tell him, like, nice. even if there's only 20 people in the audience, we're going to put this up. Later. Yeah. And, yeah. like, we can actually expand that audience and, and make it bigger for what they're doing. Nice. And my wife's a photographer, so she comes and takes professional pictures. And we just give that all to them for them to use in their promotional Sweet. stuff. So, like, but it's that same thing. Like, don't worry about the audience. Like, right. do what you do and do it as good as you can. Yeah. Because. Yeah. That's how it gets better. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's not easier to draw a crowd for theater, but like people are, that is a thing that people go do. Book readings and things like that are not, people don't wake <laughs> right. up and they're like, ah, oh, I want to sit in a room and quietly hear somebody <laughs> read to me. Right. Like after the age of five, that's not a thing for which you actively aim why. for. Yeah. Maybe we should keep doing it after the age of five. Maybe that's why is that we stop. Well, the way that we got around that was I don't let the authors read. They have to choose a story from their book yeah, and they have to tell it. And I put them in the round. Uh, so nice. there's people all around them. And then I get authors from different genres. Oh. So you'll get a nonfiction, a fiction, so everybody maybe gets a playwright. At least something they like. Yeah. yeah, and so that draws the different groups in. But yeah. also somebody that likes theater may then hear a nonfiction that they didn't. Um, yeah. It's not – I tell them to think about it and rehearse it. They have like eight minutes, and we will – we do the poetry slam stuff where you snap or tap your feet yeah. if you don't like something. And then at like eight minutes, I'm like, mm, time to – so that it doesn't yeah. go on for 40 minutes. So there's – That's great. Um, so much better in a story format anyways. Yeah. I tell folks, you want to read the book? Read the book. Yeah. <laughs> or I can have the author tell you the story that they think is really interesting about it. Right. Because I think that's more fascinating. Which is going to have tidbits that aren't in the book. Right. All that. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you're just literally taking the best part of the thing, which is – the reading and making it the worst possible format in public quietly. You know, I've always kind of (laughs) thought of that, even when you have like really like, uh, you know, well-known authors reading something from their book, because my brain does things with that text that they're not going to do with their voice. And so they might be robbing me of something while they're doing that. Like they may emphasize a phrase or something that I'm like, Oh wait, now that whole passage means something completely different in my brain as opposed to what it did before, which is what I wanted to keep it. Right. I love that message or whatever. And, I can read right <laughs> like I am actually physically capable of doing that what I'm not capable of is hearing you tell me the story about why 
Right. Like that's the psychology, right? Like I yeah. want to know the thing that made the thing important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm assuming what you've written in here is what you've wanted to say. Right. And if you're like, ah, it's not exactly, I'm like, well, I'm not buying the book. Then. Right. You should have got an editor, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So where are you guys with Q artistry now? So we actually just entered in a super fun phase in that we um, have decided to go kind of... By the way, that was the most bullshit question of all time, too. Like, that's the very thing I said I don't do. Like... (laughs) It's all right. But... I accept bullshit questions sometimes. Yeah. Um, So a fun phase. Yeah, because we just uh, went free agent. So now we're... We we were in that space for six years, seven Mm -hmm. years. And um, only doing stuff in in that space. Well, we did a few things outside, but now we're doing stuff all over. Like we have Cabaret Poe uh, this month at Theater on the Square, mm-hmm. and um, and we're doing. Something. Oh, I bet that's interesting. Oh yeah, it's great because that really is like a dark dank theater. It like. is. It is. You should come see it. And um, and then in uh, in no- December we're doing something at the Irving Theater, uh-huh. and then and then there's a bunch of really exciting things announced for 2017 that have not been announced yeah. yet. But, um, well, I know that there's a bunch of stuff coming with spaces in 2017 like yeah. there's different groups and organizations that are yeah. like this seems like a for theater a really like the next year or two is going to be interesting yeah i hope so um i well, mean i know for i know for uh q artistry and for myself as a performer and playwright it's going to be one of the most fascinating and fantastic years yet because it can't do anything but that because of what's lined up that's awesome. Well, thanks I for coming and talking to me. Right more like now, right we'll, now. We'll 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 peak. We'll send it out when it comes out. <laughs> thanks for coming over and talking to me today. It was great. Thank right. you. Thanks. So there you have it. That was our interview with Ben. He is amazing and charming, and it was just such a great time talking. In fact, we enjoyed it so much. I. He, we did this interview in my house in the condo where we live, and we ended up spending about 20 minutes walking around and showing him the condo. He is as nice as he sounds. Um, and it's a good reminder that you should be out making your own thing. Like, I love his story. At, at no point did he think he should stop making stuff. Like, it has always just been the thing that he did. Um, and that is just so important. So... Find Q Artistry, find what they do, get your ass over to Theater on the Square, see Cabaret Poe. In terms of the geeky press, share this podcast with your friends. We've been growing exponentially every month. We're getting bigger and bigger, and that's because you guys are sharing this, um, and we appreciate it so, so much. Make sure, if you're a writer from Indiana, you go to the geeky press and you look at Who's Your Lit?, If you're a writer of any kind, we'd really love to get your submission for Dear America because that is that we think it's such an important project and it's a platform that we need, that writers need to be addressing in in meaningful ways. Um, In less meaningful matters, you need to go to our merch section and you need to get yourself a t-shirt, you need to get yourself a writing notebook and some magnets and you need to support that. We also have one-day writing retreat coming up in November. So if you're in the greater Indianapolis area, $10 gets you writing all day with 25 other writers. Um, you can go into our events section and see all about that. Otherwise, get your ass back to the computer. Keep writing. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Mm-hmm.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.